something that comes up a lot is that same question about why am I doing Qigong practice or Neigong practice or meditation or whatever and getting angrier. So this is something that's quite common. A lot of people will find that when they start engaging with internal work, especially if it has some kind of substance behind it, um, that they can start getting angry. Um, other people will have different emotional experiences, um, but it's quite a common one. I mean, another one that's quite common is people's sexual desire will, will go up. Um, but I still think that getting angrier, more cross, more short-tempered is more normal for, for Qigong. Now that sounds funny because you would have thought if you do Qigong practice, you automatically become much calmer, right? More settled, more still. Mm, but really that's, that's not the case. We can say that uh, Qigong exercises that don't really build, they can make you calmer. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, because the kind of Qigong that doesn't build, which is the majority of Qigong, to be honest, to be honest, most Qigong doesn't build anything, so consequently what it does is it calms you down because you do slow rhythmic breathing along with deep breathing, slow rhythmic movement, sorry, along with deep breathing and, you know, you know the kind of stuff, you know, arm-waving Qigong. And while that's fine, that's all well and good, that will calm you down. It's not really doing anything with regards to the Dantian, it's not building anything. So, therefore, if you have a system that has some power behind it, such as Nagong, then there is a higher degree that this side of your nature is going to get stimulated. It's going to get emphasized. So there's, there's really a couple of reasons why. There's three. There's three main reasons why, actually, we'll talk about. The first one, the first one can actually apply to any system. So any system where the mind goes into the body. So this is probably going to be prevalent in things like mindfulness meditation as well, yoga, whatever, it doesn't matter, like conscious breathing. So when you put your mind inside your body, you start to become aware of what is stored in the body and you start to become aware of what the nature of your body is and what the nature of your mind might be. So as well as anger, people can also find aches and pains and bruised feelings that they didn't know that they had. That's not abnormal for those things to pop up. They were always there, but as soon as I look inside and pay attention to my body, there it is. So that can happen with um, any internal work and anger is one reason that can arise there but I would say that's not the most common that's the kind of anger that's fairly easily sort of processed and, and passed through that's more like an awareness of your anger so we don't really need to talk about that one a lot the second reason is that some systems can be too stimulating so <clears throat> a lot of systems with very forceful breathing very forceful movement a lot of contractive tension a lot of strong intention certainly not the kind of systems I teach. Um, I, I don't, I'm not on that side of things, but there's some systems that really want to ramp you up and they want to force the breathing. Like everything's very assertive, very aggressive, strong intention. There's some quite well widespread systems in the West that work like that. So these ones will ramp you up essentially just because they're stressing the nervous system. Because if you hyperventilate the body, stress out the breathing, strong intention, forceful, kind of work, you will cause your nervous system to fire up. So essentially you're putting yourself into fight or flight. And when people are put into fight or flight, they normally get one or two reactions. One is anger, um, which a lot of people, especially men, will, will experience. And the other one is anxiety. Um, fear can start to arise and a lot of people will suffer with, with that one. So these kind of panic attacks or rage can happen when the nervous system is overly fired up. So systems that are overly forceful will do that to you. Those ones are, are quite problematic 
because of course if they're firing you up they're also draining you draining the adrenals draining the kidneys so you want to be careful with that kind of work it's not to say those systems are never valuable they can be they can be but there has to be a very 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 strong foundation in the kidneys in calming the nervous system and getting to the right mind state before engaging with that kind of work so hopefully a system like that should have lots of safety protocols um, but in my experience often they don't over practice of Tao Yin can do the same as well actually like the systems that are only based on Tao Yin rather than Qigong and to me they're very distinct practices from one another um, scholars will sometimes say the terms are interchangeable but I, I don't quite agree on that but they systems that are overly used Tao Yin can do the same can stress out the nervous system that can be a problem you know the third reason, which is more akin to the kind of work that, that I teach and that I do, is it's possible to get angry when you build more chi. That's true. That's definitely a fact. And it's not that uncommon because essentially what we're trying to do, one of the things we're trying to do is turn the Dantian into a giant battery to store energy and build more energy in the body. And then, of course, just like, you know, just like if you're rich, people tend to make more money. Like money attracts money. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's the same. It's it's like you build interest on your chi. So the more chi you build in the dantian, the more chi the build the body builds in general. So <clears throat> as strange as it may sound, like the more you build that energy within the body, the more efficiently your body functions. But the downside to this is the more energy you have in your body, the more it's going to fuel certain things. Because if you have um, more chi say just on a basic level you're going to be sending more chi to your organs so therefore your organs are going to function better you're going to send more chi to your tissues so therefore your tissues are going to function better including things like your muscles your tendons your nerves your bones all of these things are going to function better like to a higher degree now most people who practice qigong won't find that a very strange idea not if they've got the kind of system that builds energy they won't find that that strange you know it's not that odd to think more energy things function more efficiently obviously less chi more deficient things aren't great now of course according to chinese medicine there's counter arguments to that to do with excess and stagnation and things but ignoring that for the moment it's just logical to assume that the more energy you have in your body the more things are going to function on a physical level um, to a higher degree and that's you know that's evidently the case from what we see and what we experience for ourselves when we do the practice so that's all well and good marvelous but your mind doesn't function in the same way and this is where it's quite curious because you would have thought more chi meant more sort of efficient functioning of mind right but no not at all actually it simply means that the mind functions how do i say well just more strongly but it can function stronger, more strong, that's a wrong, that word doesn't exist, does it? But it functions stronger in whatever direction it might be orientated already. So if, for example, your mind is orientated towards feelings of anger already, maybe there's mild frustration in you, when you start building chi, that mild frustration can get bigger and bigger because your, your mind, your idea of what your mind functioning efficiently might look like is different for what your mind thinks that your mind functioning should look like so in it's i suppose to the logic of me or someone else or to, or to our logic like if the mind is functioning well it's centered it's focused it's poised it's <laughs> you know it's kind of 
almost contacted the true self or something but that's not how the mind sees it because the mind sees it more like that your mind is designed to enable you to interact with the world and the sense faculties to produce information and thoughts and so on and so on so your mind doesn't necessarily understand of its own accord that it's supposed to be this centered focus thing what it thinks it's supposed to do is to give you whatever filters you need to efficiently interact with the world so therefore if you have a tendency towards anger or frustration which lots of people do then what you will notice is when you build more chi that side of your nature becomes more efficient becomes stronger becomes more more dominant so therefore your rage goes up your your anger can go up and people can have sort of flare-ups of, of anger um, that can be problematic in their relationships and things it can be difficult and certainly I went through a stage that lasted about a year <laughs> when I was building a lot of chi where I was very very grumpy very very difficult to deal with and this was as a result um, of this process so it's quite normal what I didn't have was um, like guidance on how to get through it I suppose or a full understanding of what was happening at the time um, but looking back on it this is what it was yeah so does that mean that anger is the only emotion that gets stronger? No, doesn't mean that. It's just that anger is the one you tend to notice, right? And I think a lot of people are living in an angry state and a frustrated state as well, so that doesn't help. So if, for example, you are a very, very jolly, jovial, happy person and everything you see is love, light, strawberries and unicorn farts, and that is your perception of the world, there's not many people like that, right? But there are some then that side of their nature will get stronger. That, the chi will feed that side of their, their nature, but they won't necessarily notice that because they'll just think they're happy. And somebody that's worried, always thinking about, oh God, what's gonna happen in the future? That can get stronger as well, but people don't necess necessarily notice that one, but anger they notice, anger they notice. Depression people notice as well. It's not unknown for people that have really bad depression. Um, and I don't mean, really low mood i mean actual depression but people who have actual depression to do some kind of qigong that builds energy can often find that their depression becomes stronger as well becomes more more problematic more difficult that pit of despair becomes harder to climb out of so it's it's long been one of the groups of people that have advised not to do sort of strong legong practices people are suffering with depression i think that there's better tools for the job i think tai chi i think tai chi is it's much better for people with depression the negong uh, for, for sure just with regards to what it does to the mindset and in some ways depression is more problematic than anger unless you go on a murderous spree or something but not many people take it that far so anger tends to be the one we notice because it's explosive it's experienceable other people will <laughs> reflect back to us that we're angry they may even tell us that we're angry you know our loved ones will point out to us very quickly that you're being an ass so you know I think that's why people notice this one and I think that a lot of people are angry as well just because the human condition is kind of frustrated. Because if you look in Chinese medicine at the associations between the emotions and the organs, we can see that the liver and anger are very closely related to each other. And I would say the liver and frustration are very closely related to each other as well. In fact, the liver and depression are quite closely related, but let's stick with anger and the liver right now. But essentially, uh, the liver also governs the free flow of qi. This is one of the statements. So how smoothly your chi flows through the body is related to the liver. So if the liver becomes stagnant or, or deficient or not functional, well, normally it becomes excess actually, but all right, doesn't matter. If the liver is not functioning properly, then your chi can become stuck, become stagnant. And they call this liver chi stagnation. 
So on a physio physiological slash energetic slash chi slash whatever model within your, your body, um, obviously this is going to govern many of the kind of functional activities of your, your organs and your tissues, right? This is what a Chinese medicine practitioner would look at primarily. But with regards to your mind, your chi is also reflected there. So there's how smoothly your chi flows also reflects how smoothly your mind flows. Now, one of the things with the liver is very much that it wants to grow and express itself in various ways. And it's very much that sort of wood energy driving force that governs the evolution of who we are. So it's kind of like your your growth through life, you know, your kind of um, development, your growing up, your spiritual maturity, your psychological maturity, all of these things, how smoothly these things unfold are dictated largely by this kind of energy. It's related to the hun part of your soul which is linked to planning and dreaming and direction in life and, and things like this. So it's <clears throat> basically what that means is that if somebody is not able to fulfill, all right, it's a bit of a weird term and I'm jumping away from Taoism here admittedly, but if you're not able to fulfill in life what your soul desires, you're not able to move forward and fulfill your dreams and kind of live a life of purpose, then your liver is going to be impacted. Your chi is going to be constrained. It's called con it's literal constrainment syndrome of the chi tightens. Your mind is going to tighten and this creates frustration. So to me, it's not classically discussed this way, but the liver almost feels like a kind of corset that's around this kind of region of the body, what they call the hypochondriac region. And if there's constrainment and the corset tightens and you, you're not free, I've never worn a corset, that's not something I tend to put on, but I would imagine it's not very comfortable. And when that corset is released, then all of a sudden I'm free and I can move and I can mobilize. But unfortunately, that corset is caused by life. It's caused by the constraints put upon us by our finances, societal pressures, our responsibilities, um, or ourselves, our lack of an ability to see something through, our lack of ability to pursue purpose in life. You know, all of these kinds of things are going to constrain us. I'm sure you can explore your life and find something that has caused you to feel a bit constrained in, in some way. And, and many of us don't ever really fulfill our dreams, you know. You might live a life where you've got to provide for your family and you maybe have to provide for sick relatives even or something like this rather than just your children. And, and maybe you <coughs> needed to take over the family business and you needed to afford this and you needed to afford that. And, and life led you into this place, but really all you wanted to do was be the world's first, I don't know, camel jockey that was gonna race across the desert and beat the world record. I don't know what it is, like it could be as round as world's fastest bobsled racer, like it, whatever your dream was, your thing that felt was gonna lead you to some kind of fulfillment, that, that childhood dream has kind of been pushed aside. You know, your life purpose has been ignored in order for you to fulfill your responsibilities and there's the corset there's the thing that constrains you now does that mean you should immediately walk away from all of those shackles no because people rely on you and you do have responsibilities but maybe there's a balance that we could try to strike um, and i think if people can do this then this will free up the chi a little bit more so if we look at how society is formed and i don't want to blame society i think people blame society for everything these days and they don't realize that society is only a reflection of the mind like as within, as without, as above, so below, however you want to word it. So the macrocosm of society is only a representation of the microcosm of the mind. So we're all responsible on some level. I think it's almost irresponsible to 
try to remove yourself from that and blame society like it's an outside power rather than realizing that you are an integral part of that entire society it's it's a collective thing that's that we are a part of it's not something we can just point fingers at so i'm, I'm not a fan of blaming society per se but if we look at how our world is um, established it's not really supportive of people pursuing their their dreams not really it's it's more geared towards how efficiently can we make everybody function as a part of the whole so that the world keeps rumbling on and maybe <laughs> certain elite groups make a certain amount of money but that doesn't matter do you know what i mean like that that's the way the world is so it by its very nature it's going to be constraining it's going to be limiting because it's not going to assist people in achieving all of these things that they want to do so therefore a lot of us have a lot of pent-up frustration a lot of pent-up anger and it doesn't help that maybe we look at social media or whatever these days it's going to be social media isn't it? that's what everyone's looking at nobody really watches tv anymore do they, they just watch their phones and it doesn't help that you watch all that you watch the social media watch your phones and you see all these people living the kind of life that you, you feel you, you should or you feel you want to. And that's gonna to add to the constraint because of the comparison between you and the other person. Every time you look at that, wow, there's that corset tightened a little bit more. There's that cheese stagnant, there's that frustration starting to build up within you. So it's there, it's under the surface. I'm not fulfilling my dreams, so I'm angry. So then when I start doing Qigong and I start building that battery and that Qi goes up, it's gonna ramp up that quality. It's gonna ramp up that frustrated quality um, quite a lot, you know, so people can, not always, but people who do feel that way can find they get angrier and angrier from the practice. And sometimes that she will circulate after a while, it's almost like the bubble pops, you know, and then boy, they come out the other side of it and they're okay. But that's most people, but some people get stuck in that loop, you know, so ultimately there comes like two sides to the practice because yeah we have to increase the efficiency of the body's functioning we have to build the chi we have to build the antm we have to open the channels all that stuff but at the same time we also have to deal with our mind we have to deal with our feelings we have to deal with this frustration we have to encounter become aware of process and integrate all of those feelings of being limited of not hitting our full potential we need to be able to confront those two and deal with those because otherwise there's going to be our glass ceiling there's going to be our stopper that's where our chi is going to build and, and exaggerate and then we just become cross and, and dissatisfied with life. On another level, that feeling was already there. All it's done is shown you and exaggerated it. So you're better off dealing with it, right? <laughs> it just seems like a more sensible option to me for sure. So really when trying to understand why humans often have this innate feel of being trapped or, or something or of not managing to fulfill their their dreams we also almost have to look at really kind of like the nature of human beings as animals rather than simply blaming an outside source we have to also understand that as human beings like ultimately if you look at every other animal they're just built to survive that's really what they do animals are born they hunt they live in packs i don't know what animals do shit pick fleas off each other, breed, and then die. That's it. That is their function. It's, it's really kind of, they don't have much in the way of higher purpose. Sometimes humans like to kind of personify animals and try to <laughs> overlay kind of qualities on them. But really, that's what animals are doing. They're, they're born, they exist, they experience, they give birth, and then they die. They, they're, they're simply, their function is to carry on life. They're, their only real purpose is to survive. And if you look at the wild, how many animals kill each other, you can see just how difficult that survival is you know now human beings 
on the whole, unless you live in a very violent part of the world, which is possible with war zones and things. But in general, most of us don't really have that problem that we need to survive. That's not really an issue anymore. Uh, our intellect has enabled us to develop societies and systems and, and medicine and farming, agriculture, all that kind of stuff, commerce, you know, all these things we've built to enable us to survive. So therefore, we don't really have that problem anymore, is it? It's not like we need to go out hunting, worry about the next tribe killing us or a saber-toothed tiger or, or whatever. Like on the whole, we can pretty much guarantee that most of us, not all, most of us are going to survive to a ripe old age. And now I don't think that's maybe the same as it was in the past. I think life expectancy has gone up. Our medicine can cure lots of illnesses and we don't need to really sort of protect ourselves on the whole. We can, we can just kind of live. So we know we're probably going to live to our 80s, 90s, whatever, you know, short of getting some kind of disease. So therefore, like, we're probably one of the only animals that's completely had its survival issues taken off of the table for the time being. It, it's gone. We, we don't have that, that kind of difficulty anymore. So once you've had that taken away, that's kind of one of the most natural reasons for existence gone. I mean, you can even see with, um, like, de certainly developed worlds, developed countries, developed worlds, what's that mean? I'm only talking about this world. Developed countries, the, even there's lots of people that choose not to have children anymore, right? So certainly when I've been to poorer parts of the world, more, less developed parts of the world, families tend to be very big. People will have lots of kids, as long as they're allowed to, you know, depending on what country you're in, but they have lots of children. And then you come to sort of, uh, fairly wealthy countries like the UK, America, or whatever, lots of people these days are deciding not to have children um, because of financial pressures or there's other things you want to do in life. Or really, maybe we could also say because that innate desire for survival of the race has kind of disappeared a bit as well. You know, we have overpopulation, supposedly, although when I drive around America, it seems pretty empty, a lot of the space here, but supposedly overpopulation. Um, limited resources on the planet, that's true, isn't it? And and things like this. So there's definitely not a shortage of humans. We're not struggling in, in that sense. And maybe as well, because our survival needs are taken care of in so many other ways, we don't feel that innate survival need to produce offspring to continue with the human race. So it's amazing how that's changed, you know? So then that takes us to where we are now. With survival's gone, what else is there? Well, I guess, a lot of the kind of media around us and the way we set things up would like to have us believe that the new version of survival is to have as many cars as you can and a couple of swimming pools and a few houses and uh, I don't know a lot of bikini models surrounding you or whatever it would like you to have us believe those things and some people pursue that that becomes their their meaning doesn't it sort of wealth and success but ultimately a lot of those people realize it's quite empty we all know that story some of us might not believe it until we've actually achieved it, but it's certainly the case that that becomes a kind of, um, you know, an empty shell because that's not really that, it's not tackling that thing that people thought they were gonna need, which is ultimately a kind of purpose. Because if your purpose is no longer survival, there has to be a new purpose. So after, at first our purpose was given to us by religion, wasn't it, because religion would tell us how you lived in this life would dictate where you went in the in the afterlife, certainly with organized religions such as Christianity and, and things like this. So this was enough for people for, for a long time. So they would live according to these kind of ideals. And I guess some people still do, don't they? I shouldn't discount the fact that a lot of people still live like that. But that's not the same for a lot of people. 
a lot of people these days are not religious. They don't believe there's an afterlife. They don't believe they're going to a heaven. So therefore, that purpose is taken away. For the purpose of survival, purpose of religion and achieving a better eternity. So what's often left is a kind of nihilistic uselessness that is the feel that many human beings have. So they don't have purpose. So consequently, their life becomes a kind of game of consume what you want and sort of live as best as you can and and then die and that's it but there's no overarching kind of bigger need for anything really is there and i think that that is a major part of the reason for people's frustration of why they feel pelt up pent up because i know that inside they know inherently i think we all do somewhere inside instinctively even if we don't believe it consciously i think subconsciously we know that that's not the case I think we all know somewhere, or most of us know somewhere, that actually there is a higher purpose. We just don't know what that higher purpose is. We're not sure what that purpose is. So, of course, no one can ever take someone else's view on what that higher purpose is. I can only share you with you mine. I can only share with you mine, but, um, <clears throat> of course, I'm not trying to sell you a belief system or force anything onto you. I'm not, I'm not your priest or something, so I'm only sharing my personal view, and this is how I live. And, and you have... To, you have to come up with your own. Essentially, I see life as having purpose in three. I'm always, I like my list, don't I? <laughs> I like my list of three. Three different kinds of purpose that human beings have. The first of these is responsibility to the larger collective. I, I think that that is um, something that all spiritual traditions have noted at some point, that ultimately selfishness isn't a way to happiness. So I don't believe necessarily in a societal responsibility i mean to society i guess in many ways i'm kind of useless maybe even a bit of a pain in the butt because i don't really fit into any one kind of box that society would deem as particularly useful but i think i'm useful to community now for me society and community are different because society is the larger sort of overriding system that is decided upon for us or decided upon collectively who knows depends on your belief system but it's certainly the construct they want everybody to to fit within and and i don't i don't really fit into that but i think community wise i'm quite helpful thing i like to think i'm quite useful to some because community to me is more like a smaller scale thing of the people that are like-minded in a similar kind of field so i believe i'm in the alternative arts community internal arts community I, i like to think i'm quite helpful there i think i'm in the chinese medicine community I'm also in the community of the local area of wherever I am. I'm in the community of my family and friends. I'm in the community of myself and my students. So this is what I mean by community. People can be in numerous communities. And I think whatever communities you find yourself in, that's what you need to become more useful within. So rather than being within a community and making yourself the goal of that community, how can this community serve me? The second, The more important thing is how can I serve my community? How can I better assist people in my community for my community to thrive in a positive fashion. So I believe that one of the main ways to, first ways to free that constraint is to adhere to this idea. And it it's a long subject really to go into why that's the case to do with the nature of uh, self and suffering and so on and so on. So we'll leave that for now. But I think it's enough to note that most spiritual traditions from Hinduism, through to Buddhism, through to Taoism, through to Western religions, at some point spoke about this. And an idea of selflessness and service was certainly something that was 
propagated or emphasized or, or certainly supported. So therefore, there's a useful quality to it. So that's, that's the first thing I would say. How can you be a more useful part in the sort of larger machine of your community? I think that's very helpful. I think a lot of people are more self-serving than they would like to admit. Um, and I think if they take a look at themselves and their behavior and their role and their part of their community, I think there's things that can be done to change that. And I think that will free up a lot of constraint for people. Second aspect of purpose, it's almost like an earthly purpose, you know, like what is your purpose within this life? So I think a lot of people seek happiness and fail, <laughs> unfortunately, because happiness is always paired with sadness. There has to be yin and yang. So I think we, we can always find things that make us happy. I enjoy good conversation with people and I enjoy walks in nature. I enjoy stupid things like I enjoy fun cars and driving through the desert. These things are fun for me and there's a whole list of things like that. But I don't seek those things. Fun is not my purpose in life. Instead, my fun comes from my purpose or rather my sense of contentment comes from my purpose. So I don't seek earthly pleasure. I seek earthly purpose. And my purpose that I've stumbled across, in my opinion, is to preserve the arts that I practice, really, and to enable them to survive for the generation that comes after me. And hopefully they'll do better than me. I want them to do so well that they look back at what I was doing and go, oh, that demo, he was shit. They're like, that's fine. That suits me. As long as I'm a link in a chain and the arts are surviving and improving, then that's my earthly purpose. That's what I want to do. And the more I pursue that purpose, that leads me to then need to study more and train more and learn more and then teach better and then keep that alive. And, and as I see success at that purpose, um, then it brings me pleasure. That brings me joy. That brings me contentment. And when I see failure at that purpose, uh, yeah, that's another matter altogether, isn't it? <laughs> but hopefully the more you get better at your purpose on an earthly level, the more contentment you, you, you find. So there's earthly purpose. Earthly purpose will get a lot of people through life, but it's still not deep enough. I think there's a higher purpose. But if people don't have earthly purpose, I think that can be bad. So if someone's just doing a nine to five and bored out of their skull and just getting day to day through their life and, and doesn't really have any earthly purpose, that's going to be very difficult for a human being. There's the root of your anger, the root of your frustration right there. But of course, maybe your purpose can be anything. Your purpose can be raising the best children that you have, like doing the best job of being a parent. Your purpose can be to be the best tattoo artist. I don't know why that sprung to mind, I guess because I got tattoos, you know, whatever, like whatever you do, like there must be something you pursue that you want to be the best swordsman, the best archer, the best painter, the best whatever, or the best, I don't mean in a competitive way, the best you can be in your purpose, right? You have to have that. I think all human beings require that. If we don't have survival needs, you're going to need a purpose of some sort in order to feel okay, because the people that don't have a purpose that I meet are often pretty miserable pretty miserable and they often seem to replace their purpose with alcohol or drugs or sedatives of some sort or sugar or whatever they can to kind of sedate or stimulate whatever they're trying to do that part of their soul that feels lacking because they don't have a purpose so I think you need that too so part one you need to have some service you need to be a uh, you need to be a part of something greater so you're not very self-orientated and I think the second part of it is you need a life purpose these are the first two things that will free up your constrainment to a certain degree to free up the liver the third thing uh, is then to me is higher purpose now this is one I'm not trying to sell to anybody because everyone has different belief systems and if you don't believe in anything higher than 
that which you can touch, touch, taste, feel or shag, I suppose, like a lot of people live, then it's going to be difficult for you to accept anything higher. But that's okay because you can still do one and two. You can still follow the path of service to a greater community, a greater good, and you can still um, find some kind of purpose in life, something that you can hang on to and, and develop and use as a kind of guiding compass through the, this path of life we walk. But the third aspect to your purpose, the higher purpose for me, is very important because ultimately I believe that there is something that my experience leads me to believe, I should say. It's not done on faith, but my experience leads me to believe that there is something that is this after death and something that came prior to this existence um, that that essentially carries on along a path. So I don't, I'm not of the belief system that that which we do in this life has no causation that leads on to the next existence. I believe there is a causation. There is a causative resonance that carries on from life to life to life. And ultimately the nature of how we live this life will dictate the nature of the next. And, and the nature of these lives as they stream one after another after another ultimately leads us onto a path of, of moving to different realms or, or planes of being. I don't want to get into it too much and get too cosmic, but if you really look at kind of reincarnation theory um, or reincarnation concepts from Eastern traditions, which will differ a little bit, of course, but they're pretty much they're pretty much along a line with each other. And that's the belief system that that I exist within. So therefore, my higher purpose ultimately is to free up those. Let's not even use the word karma, but free up the nature of that thing that is continually continuously traveling along a course of existence from life to life to life so that it is not weighed down by the debris of what I've done in this life. <laughs> so I try to live in as clean and as spiritual fashion as I possibly can to continue the furthering of this path. So once I have all three of those, I have my search to be useful to the greater collective of my communities, not my society, I don't care about my communities, and my societies for other people to take care of or mess up. You know, I think if everyone takes care of communities, the collective communities will fix society. <laughs> Maybe that's a lofty aim, but that's kind of where I sit. Not everyone will agree with me on that, and that's okay, I don't mind. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to admit I'm one of those those people that um, avid society lovers or very politically minded people or voters um, don't like very much because they don't fit into those those boxes. I'm more about community. So I have that. I have my community. I have my purpose on the level of life, the thing that I pursue with my, my life energies. Um, and then my third thing would be my higher purpose. And because I have those three, which are then balanced with the responsibilities that I have in life as well, which might be less than some other people, might be more than some other people, it doesn't matter. I manage to make them work alongside each other so that one doesn't impact on the other too much. I don't want my personal purpose to negatively impact those things I'm responsible for, those people I'm responsible for, and I don't want my life responsibility to constrain my purpose. And because I have the balance between the two, then on a simplistic level, my chi flows smoothly. So therefore, much of the frustration, the pent up, the corset feeling is reduced and therefore when I build the chi within my body it doesn't stimulate that side of my nature and I don't get angrier. So it's a long it's a long way of explaining it but to me this is why people get frustrated with their anger. We're frustrated and their anger builds sorry 
sometimes the more they build chi, the more they do something like Negong, because it's it's stimulating that side of your mind, that side of your life, and, and fueling it in a problematic fashion. So, of course, meditators will come in it from a different way and say we need to sort of become aware of the nature of what frustration is and the nature of what anger is, and, and of course, um, they will try to develop insight into the nature of it. Of course, that's another way in, but... I would say that's quite a complicated way in, or maybe not complicated, but it's lengthy. Let's be honest, it's length, lengthy. People who think meditation is quicker, maybe a bit deluded. It's a long process for the vast majority of us imbeciles. Um, so I think that though meditation is an internal way of dealing with these feelings, sure, or, or um, introspection or whatever, that's true. I'm not discounting that. The things I've talked about here are kind of the external ways to deal with those feelings as well, which is basically to change things from the outside intellectually, change and rearrange things within your life, things you do, so that those feelings can alleviate. And if people can do that, um, then I think you'll find that all of a sudden life has more purpose, life is richer, and many of those feelings of frustration and of being trapped can start to ease away. But final footnote, the same time, I know that by saying this, some people will listen to this and go, well, it's fucking easy for him to say, I've got this going on and that going on. I've got a dying relative in the bedroom in a hospice bed and eight kids down here I need to look after and my dog keeps shitting on the carpet and I've got no money to pay the bills. I get it. Like, I understand. It's not the same for everybody. Some of us have more restrictions on our life. Some of us have more responsibility. And in some ways, maybe that's our community we give service to. And in other ways... Maybe that's our purpose at that moment to deal with that situation. Or on the other hand, maybe we have to find some kind of balance. So there has to be an ability to deal with some kind of life purpose alongside that. Who knows? But it's definitely not always easy. But uh, we can do our best.